We have 34 trillion problems here in the United States and paying our bills is all of them. See, we've hit 34 trillion in national debt, but what is the national debt? See, the government seems to have this philosophy, do as I say, not as I do, as they insist that we pay our bills. Meanwhile, they kick the can down the road and Congress doesn't seem to fix anything. Also, speaking of kicking the can down the road, Harvard, Claudine Gay has resigned from her position. Gay is out, but not really. Just went over to the faculty room. <laughs> showing that Harvard has no spine to do what's necessary. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. Let's get emboldened. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden. Glad that you're here. Today, we're talking about the ineffectiveness of both Democrats and Republicans throughout the decades, really since Ronald Reagan, it's been completely out of control, but the national debt is on the rise. We're also going to get to Claudine Gay, the Harvard president. All right, let's get straight to it. We're going into the classroom today. Why? Because the <laughs> national debt otherwise known by the federal debt, some people call it the public debt, but the U.S. Treasury, for today's conversation, we're going to call it the national debt. It has finally reached $34 trillion. Not just $34 trillion, but sometime around 7 p.m. on January 2nd yesterday, it hit $34 trillion, $1,493,655,565. What a mouthful. But do you understand what the national debt is? Well, it's made up of a lot of different type of debt, just like you and I would have personal debt that could be in a mortgage, could be in a car loan, it could be in our credit cards. Their debt can take on several different forms for individuals. Well, the same thing happens with the government. The government has different types of debt, whether they're non-marketable securities or marketable securities. Uh, non-marketable securities are savings bonds, government accounts, state, local governments, and they can't sell those off to others. And marketable securities are treasury bills, the bonds, the notes, and the inflation protected securities that are out there. Uh, those can be traded to the secondary market and can be transferred to other persons or other entities. And we know for a fact, we have China that has bought up a lot of our treasury bills throughout the time. And then that debt, the national debt that we're talking about can be held by both the public as well as held by just the government itself. Some is public debt and government and some is just government. That is called intragovernmental debt. All right. Intragovernmental debt. 
Now, if you followed my Michael Bednarik constitutional uh, series that I did back in August, it was a week long series, you would know the debt has happened ever since the inception of our country. We had to pay back our debts during the Revolutionary War. It was $75 million back then because we borrowed from the investors of the French government because we needed war materials in order to fight against England. So this concept of debt is nothing new, but this concept of not paying it back or the concept of debt so big that we can't ever get out from under it. I, I just think that that's where we are at this point in time. That was never a thing to our founding fathers. Our founding fathers would have never have been okay with a debt that was so insurmountable that we just kicked the can down the road. Now, the national debt enables the federal government to pay for programs and services for the American public. And that's the reason why every single time we have Congress saying they're going to shut down government spending, everybody goes into a tizzy because that means federal jobs would be eliminated. I can tell you that it would actually be a very good thing if some federal jobs were eliminated. But that's a conversation for another day. We're not going to get into that because I want to you understand the national debt today. Now, we have a fiscal year, all right? A fiscal year is from when we start keeping the accounting until when we stop. And for like where I work, I believe it's July 1st until June 30th, but the government, they run their fiscal year from October 1st until September 30th of the next year. So October 1st, 2023 until September 30th, 2024 is the current fiscal year that we're in. We just ended quarter one. We're going to go in the quarter two here in January. We end that in March. Quarter three is April till June. And then quarter four is July until September. And so when you hear about those quarterly reports that are coming out in relation to national debt, that's what they're talking about. Then we hear about spending. This is when the Congress gets together and they figure out what our federal money is going to be paid on. What have we obligated ourselves to spend? And so normally we could refer to that as uh, a cash disbursement, right? Uh, it's the cash equivalency that we know that we've got to pay these certain fees in order to make sure that we are in a good public interest and public good. And so that is normally the public debt, part of those public issues. We also spend money on things like Pell Grants. We have FEMA aid when there's hurricanes and things that are, need FEMA's assistance. And then we get interest that incurs on federal debt, like the treasury bonds and all of those. All right, so that's another part of this equation. If we were to put it simply though, pictured national debt as a credit card, except this credit card does not require us to ever have a credit limit, apparently. At this point in time, we've just decided every single president to go, oh, we don't care about the credit limit increase it. We ain't paying it back. So basically, it's a person using your credit card for purchases, except you're not going to pay off the full balance each month, which is the wise thing to do for those that don't want to owe other people money. So what ends up happening is as we rack up that debt each and every single year, we accrue interest on top of the money that we've borrowed. So when the cost of what we've purchased exceeds the amount 
that we're paying off, we create a deficit. For example, in easy money, right? If uh, I am only making $500 per week and I'm spending $600 per week, each week I'm going to be running at a negative $100 deficit. Or at the end of uh, a year, 52 weeks, I'm gonna have $5,200 as a deficit. I'm then going to tack on interest onto that at whatever the interest rate is. Let's say that the interest is accruing each and every single time and compounds. And let's just say that $5,200 at a 10% uh, interest rate. And I think that sounds cheap by today's standard. That's an extra $520 that then gets compounded year after year as that deficit starts to grow. That is where this country finds ourselves. Can you imagine if we woke up and we said to the government, we're no longer going to pay our credit cards or anything that was federally borrowed, that student loans, all of these things, you're not going to pay any of your payments ever again. Let me tell you, the government would be absolutely livid. So why is it okay for your government to say to everybody else, we're not going to pay the full bill. We're just going to kick the can down the road every single year and continue to rack up a deficit that further indebtitudes our great, 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 great grandchildren, because that's how long this thing is going to take if we were to sincerely try to get it under control. Meanwhile, if we simply go, you know what, I'm not paying my student loans, they're going to take your home, they're going to take your car, they're going to take everything because student loans are first in line when it comes to your debt. All right, so we have this deficit now at $34 trillion, $1.5 billion. And by the time you're listening to the show, I'm sure it's probably added on uh, about another $20 billion because the clock is fast ticking up and up and up. Well, how do we stop this? Well, there's no quick way to stop it because the federal government needs to borrow money in order to pay its bills because we're addicted to giving everybody money. I mean, Ukraine, you need another $500 billion? Sure, why not? What's another $500 billion in our federal debt that we have, our national debt, when it's already $34 trillion? Just print the money from the Federal Reserve and let it go. We do not have enough money coming in from federal revenue alone to cover all the spending activities that Congress and presidents continue to put us through. And as a result, they will say they're doing this for your security. But that is not true. The dirty secret is, yes, they're doing it for your security right now, but they're kicking a can down the road later for a collapse that is going to suffocate this empire of which we've built. The 34 trillion will someday have somebody who wants to collapse it and recall their debts. And there will be no amount of money that can be printed. And we will be saddled at that point in time with a poor financial policy for this country. Now, the constitution is very, uh, specific about all this. Their preamble states that the purpose of a federal government was to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. 
uninterrupted funding of these programs and services they will claim in government is necessary to your health, welfare, and security. But what I'm curious about is, are we giving up in the security of blessings of liberty for both ourselves and our posterity by continuing to put up the national debt at these numbers? I believe that answer is a walloping yes. The national debt, okay, in 2023 was at $33.17 trillion, which means within the next few days, we'll have added $1 trillion in just one year. But if we go back a long, long time ago to just 1924, our total debt was $384 billion. And guess what? It stayed underneath $1 trillion until 1941. In 1940, we were at $936 billion, and then we went to $1.02 trillion. Coming out of World War II, things peaked. Why? Because we were borrowing for war, $4.42 trillion. We paid it back off. We dropped it down to $3 trillion around 1951. That continued all the way until 1983. We were under $4 trillion in debt. 1983, under Ronald Reagan, the debt started growing, trickled down economics that everybody celebrated. Guess what? It didn't work. We were lining the pockets of people that were enriching others, and it was a temporary Band-Aid. By 1988, he had doubled the national debt underneath Ronald Reagan. George Bush comes in. All right, we get a modest growth over two years. And then by the time he's out of office in 1992, from 1988-1992, only $2 trillion. Then we get Bill Clinton, who people say is the greatest financial president. And I'm going to explain why they say this. He comes in and it's at $9.97 trillion. He leaves office in 2000. It's at 10.03, the smallest growth whatsoever after the last 20 years. All right. So yes, Bill Clinton did a great thing. But then guess what happens? 2001 with a national debt of $10 trillion, September 11th, and we get into endless wars. And by the time we get George Bush out of office, our national debt is at a walloping $14 trillion. All right. $4 trillion over the course of that time. Then Barack Obama comes in and we get run away spending like you wouldn't believe we get up to 26.17 31.79 so we get the 31.79 by the end of donald trump's presidency which three trillion of that is basically the pandemic it continues underneath joe biden another two trillion dollars see None of these presidents has the balls to do what's necessary. And that is tell Congress it's time to bring back the war machine. It's time to stop giving away free money. It's time to shrink down government because government is not solving our problems. Government is starting to take away your liberty and creating more problems. I'm not telling you that there's not good programs that we can spend our money on and our tax dollars, but how many times do they need to tax you for your money at this point in time and then continue to run you into a debt crisis in this country? 
Let's think about it. They tax you when you first get your earnings, correct? Right? They take like 25 to 30% of your pay for the average American. If you're making more money, they could take more. If you're making less, they could take less. But that's just the average. About 25, 30% of a paycheck disappears and goes to the government. You don't get a say in where that money goes, but apparently it doesn't go towards paying all of our bills because we have too many damn bills. On top of that, then depending where you live, maybe you have sales tax. So you've earned your money and now you're going to pay sales tax once again on all of that money. Not just that, but we got taxes that are hidden at the pump for gasoline. You got taxes on excise tax. There's the sugary tax. There's the cigarette tax. They tax you left and right until your money is basically down to less than 40% of what you originally earned. Let's not forget the fact that they also set a uh, <laughs> limit on what you can be paid, a minimum wage. And that minimum wage is kind of a joke too, because every time that goes up, guess what? The cost of all your goods goes up too, which is also the reason why when you go to the McDonald's, if you go to the McDonald's, you know, spoiler alert, you shouldn't be eating there. But if you do go to the McDonald's, that's the reason why all this food is over $10 for one person. You're not even putting actual food into your body, by the way, but hey, whatever. So when we break down this debt, the debt held by the public, the debt that's intergovernmental, it's happening each and every calendar year. It seems there is no president that seems to want to do the really difficult thing. And so here's what's going to end up happening. The debt ceiling or debt limit, that's what Congress says. That's the, the, the limit that we're allowed to have. They need to raise it every single time because Congress has nobody in there with any leadership that's going to do anything. You want to talk about a failure of Republicans right now? Republicans not only have the Congress, they have the Speaker, and they still have not been able to come up with a budget that is bringing anything of uh, substance to the table. The Democrats are still the ones that are the only ones able to produce a budget that actually works to keep us out of major trouble. So what's going to end up happening in all this? Well, if you listen to Ron Paul way back when he said, we're selling our future and mortgaging our children's future to China and other countries because they're buying up our debt. They're buying up our treasuries. They're going to crash the dollar bill. Yes, they are. And guess what? The only thing that will save you is central bank digital currency. And that means no prosperity, no freedom. And it also means the end of your constitution. I don't know what it's going to take people to wake up and demand more of the people that they are electing, but I can tell you where it begins. Get rid of every Democrat, get rid of every Republican and start with other parties because the Republican and Democrats are a failed uni party experiment on this country and our empire will come to an end if we continue to put these donkeys into office. The president, well, former president of Harvard, Claudine Gay. She has retired. If you listen to the show a few weeks ago, after the congressional hearings where they were asked whether or not it was a violation of the student code of conduct to call for violence against a group of individuals of African-Americans or Jewish people, people were saying that they should be killed whether or not that that was something that would be seen as a violation of the school's code of conduct. And Claudine Gay could not answer the question. And as a result, she has faced some criticism and scrutiny. Now, you probably also remember that I said 
Some of the people answered the question a lot better than Claudine because the question was not as poignant as it was at President Gay at that time. Now, Gay has only been Harvard's president since last July, July 1st. Um, and <laughs> the anti-Semitism thing seems to be what is taking her out. But her letter to the Harvard community yesterday is uh, marred with some things that raised my eyebrows enough that I felt that it deserved a segment on the show. And so I'm going to read you the first three paragraphs. It is, uh, well, I might just read you the whole thing. It's only about six paragraphs long. Here's what she writes. Dear members of the Harvard community, it is with a heavy heart, but a deep love for Harvard that I write the share that I will be stepping down as president. This is not a decision I came to easily. Indeed, it has been difficult beyond words because I have looked forward to working with so many of you to advance the commitment to academic excellence that has propelled this great university across centuries. But after consultation with members of the corporation, it has become clear that it is in the best interest of Harvard for me to resign so that our community can navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus on the institution rather than any individual. It is a singular honor to be a member of this university, which has been my home and my inspiration for most of my professional career. My deep sense of connection to Harvard and its people has made it all more painful to witness the tensions and divisions that have riven our community in recent months, weakening the bonds of trust and reciprocity that should be our sources of strength and support in times of crisis. Amidst all of this, it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. Okay, I need to stop here. I can't continue to read this because I have some problems with what the president, former president gay is saying here. She's stating that this has been the singular honor to be a member of Harvard and that she has a connection that makes it very painful to see all the problems that are going on on campus that have weakened. But let me get straight to the point here. She says, it was distressing to have doubts cast my commitments of, to confronting hate. Ms. Gay, it was you in front of Congress that refused to answer the question of whether or not it was against the code of conduct to call for hate against another group of individuals. Do I need to replay that audio for you? I believe that I do. Here it is. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African-Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech. It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African-Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech It's a yes extends. or no question. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. 
and you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. But see, Miss Gay, what you failed to say there is, yes, it is against the code of conduct to call for the killing of a group of individuals that have protections by the United States Constitution. That's right. You cannot just make a statement that you would like all African-Americans dead and start marching in the streets for that on your college campuses. You can't say you would like all Jews dead. It is against the code of conduct and your failure to be able to point this out during this congressional hearing means that in your statement that you just said that the uh, amidst all of this has been distressing to have doubts cast on my commitments to confronting hate. It means you are morally bankrupt in this conversation, Miss Gay. And so therefore I find it laughable that you're making this about you being attacked at the end of this second paragraph. You also state that you have been upholding scholarly rigor. That's right, scholarly rigor. I'm just curious, Miss Gay, where was the scholarly rigor when you were plagiarizing while you were a student yourself? See, all of this is all public record at this point in time. It's been well published outside of my show. You don't need me to start standing by this. But Dr. Gay, she said back in December 11th that she stands by the integrity of her scholarship and that the initial plagiarism charges will be in circulated by just conservative media and activists online. They, they wanted to end her. They wanted her out of, no, that, that's, that's not it. See, when we hear the words Harvard or Yale or MIT, and we hear that these are supposed to be the cream of the crop institutions in this country, where the smartest of all smart people come from, then we don't want those individuals being plagiarizers. We want them to be brilliant individuals. And so the fact that as you were doing your uh, post work here at Harvard, you continued in your dissertation to plagiarize other individuals and copy phrases directly out of books. That is a major, major issue for you to then state that one of your bedrock values that's fundamental to who you are is upholding scholarly rigor. Oh, but you had to make yourself a victim in your going away letter that you wrote to everybody. You had to tell everybody that it's been frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. I'm sorry, Miss Gay, but when you are somebody who is in the public limelight, you are going to be subjected to personal attacks. 
when you do not uphold your own code of conduct and you do not state that in Congress and you have people that heard you not take a strong stance from a college perspective, not your own personal views, a college perspective. Yes, you're opening yourself up to being personally attacked. Now, threats fueled by racial animus. All right. None of the criticism that I've been reading and hearing has come from just conservative media and just racial animus that's in here. It didn't matter if the other individuals were white or black that were also asked for their resignation. What mattered is you could not answer a question that everybody should have been able to answer. Now, she goes on to say that she believes in the people of Harvard because I see you in the possibility and the promise of a better future. These last weeks have helped make clear the work we need to do to build that future, to combat bias and hate in all its forms, to create a learning environment in which we respect each other's dignity and treat one another with compassion, and to affirm our enduring commitment to open inquiry and free expression in the pursuit of truth. I believe we have within us all that we need to heal from this period of tension and division and to emerge stronger. I'd hope with all my heart to lead us on that journey in partnership with all of you as I now return to the faculty. Wait, what? I'm going to continue. And to the scholarship and teaching that are the lifeblood of what we do, I pledge to continue working alongside you to build the community we all deserve. The community we all deserve is a community without you, Dr. Gay. You know, I'm speaking on behalf of of students around this country that are not at Harvard. They're at other schools that believe in the integrity of education, believe the grade should not just be given out, that everybody should get an A simply because they go to Harvard or Yale. Because, yeah, we saw that story come out just before uh, December or sometime beginning of December. But apparently you can plagiarize, get your doctorate, become the president of a college, and then when you make a major faux pas in Congress and you resign, you know where they put you? Back on the faculty. Yeah, back on the faculty where you can just uh, influence the next uh, crop of learners in Harvard that you too can plagiarize and become the next president of the United States. Here's looking to you, Joe Biden. <laughs> Except Joe Biden didn't have the grades or the intelligence to go to Harvard whatsoever, but we all know that. She continues, when I became president, I considered myself particularly blessed by the opportunity to serve people from around the world who saw in my presidency a vision of Harvard that affirmed their sense of belonging, their sense that Harvard welcomes people of talent and promise from every background imaginable to learn from and grow with one another. To all of you, please know that those doors remain open and Harvard will be stronger. Basically, what she's saying is when I became president, I was an affirmative action president that they named me president. Because what they saw with my skin tone would help other people know that they too have the talent and promise. I find that to be a problematic statement as well. You know, she should, I understand that yes, you want to be able to see yourself at an institution. And so that was showing diversity. I understand all that. Before you you, you jump down and say, Bolden, where are you going with this? Where I'm going with this is, she is basically in one statement stating there's racial animus. And in the other statement stating that because of her racial background, she has benefited in life. Oh, the irony here. Let's get to our last paragraph. Let's see what we find. As we welcome a new year and a new semester, I hope we can all look forward to brighter days. 
Sad as I am to be sending this message, my hopes for Harvard remain undimmed. When my brief presidency is remembered, oh, I'm sure it will not be remembered, Miss Gay, I hope it will be seen as a moment of reawakening to the importance of striving to find our common humanity and of not allowing rancor <laughs> and vituperation to undermine the vital process of education. Uh, you've already done that. Miss Gay, and I'm not calling you doctor because since you plagiarized, I don't think you earned your doctorate. So yeah, you're now just Miss Claudine Gay. And no, I don't think that uh, you've upheld that vital process of education. She says, I trust we will all find ways in this time of intense challenge and controversy to recommit ourselves to the excellence, the openness, and the independence that are crucial to what our university stands for and to our capacity to serve the world. Sincerely, Claudine Gay. She didn't even sign a doctor. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe Harvard has been like, you know what? You're not a doctor anymore. You have to do that dissertation again. That would that would be amazing. I'd be down with that. That would that would be that would be justice. Take the PhD away and return her back uh, to citizen life, uh, where she can no longer play the race card and try to make everything there. You know what, Doctor Gabe? What you should have said is, I did not stand up in the midst of my campus becoming a breeding ground for hatred amongst Jewish people. I did not stand up for the Jewish population in my community. I have failed the Jewish population in my community. That's really all she had to say because that's what she is. She's a failure. And uh, the fact that she's now on faculty, if I was a, uh, a Jewish individual that had her as my teacher, I would make sure that the college knew that I was unhappy having somebody that could not speak out strongly about what was happening on my campus that make me feel unsafe uh, in a spot where people are paying incredible amounts of money. I would speak out about that and I would say, you know what? I've had enough. I'm not going to allow this lady that has a fraudulent PhD to educate me at Harvard. So that is my action point, bold Americans. If you're going to Harvard, it's not enough to gaze out at Harvard. She should be out of the faculty as well. It is not right whatsoever. Now, if you go over to my Patreon, I did a show on Jeffrey Epstein. You're going to find out he was a really disturbing claim here. They were dressing up in latex suits in order to uh, sexually abuse some of their young people that they had on their island. The spitting image suits. And I did an entire show on the Patreon page about that, as well as Jason Kelsey. Uh, you might have heard me say that I believe that that Visor commercial and Travis uh, Kelsey and Taylor Swift, that was all a match made in the agency media. Well, come to find out I was correct. And there's a story that broke yesterday that talked about, and I talk about that on the show. So you can go over to patreon.com backslash America emboldened, and you can get that by signing up and becoming a member there. So if you want more in-depth content, I also have some great interviews lining up for you coming up just later this week. And next week as well, you're not going to want to miss all of that. I will be back as always on Friday. Man, this week is going by really quick already. Here we are on Wednesday in the new year and getting ready to hit the end of the first week of January. I can't believe it. Where is 2024 going? The first week is almost down, everybody. Wowzers. All right. Hope I honored your time well. It's been great. It's been fun. I hope it's been great fun for you all and informative, whether it's the National Debt or Harvard. I'll be back on Friday to talk to you some more. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. 
Be bold, America.